Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall and this is my co-host Bruce Wainer. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. Why don't we just go live on LinkedIn also, and then we'll have to delay even more. I mean, all this technology. (laughs) I know. (laughs) The challenge is I don't actually know how to go live on LinkedIn, so we'll have to figure that out. And once we do, we just might go live there as well. So right now we're live on Facebook in case anything sounds a little different from our usual recording today. We're going to be discussing Becoming Your Own Banker. So welcome to Becoming Your Own Banker Secrets Every Saver Needs Now. So we're Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner, and we are here with a new episode on becoming your own banker. And this is for every saver who wants to keep your money at your disposal and earn maximum returns at the same time, and also be able to get your money doing the most without having to put your money in a position of risk. So we're going to dive into this. Good morning, Bruce, and welcome to the show. Good morning. Uh, this, is a, this is a simple concept that I think many people have lost <clears throat> the, the ability to think it's simple uh, because um, as our Federal Reserve keeps eroding our money over and over and over, people say, well, I just can't, I can't save money because things uh, cost too much. The bottom line is it's a mindset. And so if you decide you're going to save, you will save. We can make excuses all the time about, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Bless you. <clears throat> but the, ma- the fact of the matter is, is people are doing it every day. They, it's a choice that you have to make. Um, and I think part of the problem is, uh, you know, like our government chooses not to save. They choose just to spend, spend, spend. We are inundated by um, the, the message that our economy grows by our uh, spending. They don't mention the fact that uh, our economy could grow by us saving first and then spending appropriately. And then more people having... Uh, higher GDP by from the spending um, that is uh, not interrupted by the interest that we give up to banks, like on credit cards and so on and so forth. Because if you didn't have to give up that interest, that could be more future future spending that you can give. <clears throat> so there's a lot of factors here that it really comes down to mindset. I love that you start off with mindset because I think everything with being in control of your financial outcomes really has to do with your mindset and where you start from. And so if you're coming into this conversation today, and maybe you said, I know a little bit about becoming your own banker. I've heard that term before, and that's why I'm interested in this episode. Or if you have not heard that term, we want to really be able to break this down very simply and explain what is becoming your own banker and the three steps that you need to be able to do that in your own financial life. So we would say the first step is to keep cash reserves. Now, Bruce, this is what you just alluded to a second ago, or maybe you didn't allude, you said it very directly. You said, we just need to be saving money. And now there's many different kinds of people, and some people are excellent at saving a portion of what they make already and making sure that they keep that in reserves. And some of us are not in that position of having that come naturally to us. But saving is a key element of being able to build a financial system that really puts you in a position of control. So if you're already 
a great saver. Now we want to figure out how do you move from being a saver that has money in reserves to becoming your own banker. So Bruce, let's talk about what is banking and why are we even talking about this phrase, this, this idea of becoming your own banker. Let's talk about what is banking. Where did the phrase becoming your own banker come from? Well, banking is, is necessary in our society. Um, there's no doubt about it. So traditional banks are necessary for the safe movement of money from one individual to another, or from one corporation to another, or from an individual to a corporation, or corporation for an individual. Um, so when we're talking about the process of banking, that's one thing. And if we're talking about a bank, um, that's that's the physical place. And now, since we have electronic banks, we could also say it's the where we house our money. And since the Federal Reserve doesn't even print money, they just now they just increase their balance sheets. We think of banking in the modern world as just a, an exchange of of uh, median uh, that we all agree is valuable in what we call money. And so, what happened is is that uh, Nelson Nash several years ago said we ought to take the banking process into our own hands. So we don't actually become a bank or become a banker, but we take the process of banking into our own hands. Mm -hmm. and what he simply meant by that is he says that if a bank uses arbitrage and arbitrage is simply if they pay us to bring money to the bank in a form of an interest rate, and then they loan it out to other people in the form of an interest rate. The difference between those two things is how the bank makes money. Now, mm -hmm. they, they, they also make money on fees. And the reason that they make money on fees is because there's other things that they need to, as far as customer service to help people with that. So if you can take that same process where you can use a, a median uh, to be a bank, and yourself, then you become your own banker and mm -hmm. then profit from uh, that arbitrage. I think this is really interesting because we all think of the bank. I mean, even from being a kid, you take your money, you put it in the bank, there's savings accounts, there's checking accounts, and then it can get more complicated than that. Then either I'm storing my money in the bank or I'm requesting a loan for something from the bank. And when we think about the banking perspective or the bank's position, they're storing people's capital. And we as consumers of the bank then think about this bank is a place where I can trust that my money is going to stay there and be there for me when I put my money in this bank. It's a, a storehouse or a safekeeping place. It's a, it's a warehouse to be able to put my money into while I hold it between transactions. So I make my income, it goes to my bank, the bank holds it in this checking account, and then I'd be able to then I be able to then I'm able to use my money to pay for all of my expenses on a regular basis. So it's this holding tank, if you will. Then you also think about the bank is then giving out loans to people that they believe will repay them. So they want as low risk as possible. They want to have money flow back to them as they extend these loans. And when you think about the bank itself, they're the most profitable business model in the world, which is crazy to think about, but they do this because they have capital. They have control of capital. So when we put our money into the bank, they have control now of that capital, and they're able to use that as the reserve to be able to lend out 
additional money in terms of loans. And so that's the arbitrage, Bruce, you're talking about. But I think it really starts with the idea of they're holding capital. And as not just saying, well, well, they're the bank and I'm the customer of the bank. And so I have to put my money in the bank. So I'm putting my money in my capital in their control. We want to think about if I'm keeping cash reserves, how can I be in a position where I say, I want to be able to hold my capital and be in a position of having capital so that I can control that capital. And that's the starting point of arbitrage that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a great, there's a great explanation on this um, on the internet. If you look up the Khan Academy, mm-hmm. they talk about the uh, really how banks came about and it was really for safety. It was just, so you would actually you used to have to, at the very beginning, people would, would start to get like precious metals or coins uh, even before there was currency, paper currency. And so, you know, it wasn't very safe just to keep it at their homes. And so um, they came up with a, a system that uh, a person would have a, a central place and you actually had to pay them to keep your money there. And then what came out of that is they realized that people – they had all this capital in their bank and people were paying them to keep it there. And then they figured out, wait a minute, people don't all come back and get their money at one time. So what we could do is lend this out in the form of a loan because we know people aren't going to come back and get all their money at one time. It's really explained very, very well. So then they thought, well, what would be better then is if we had more of this capital to make loans we can make money. So then it flipped from the person paying them to store their money in safekeeping to they said, hey, if you give us your money, we'll add interest to it because they wanted to get more money into the bank to then be able to loan it out and make money on that arbitrage. That's really interesting. And I think you might have mentioned that on a previous I, episode. I, I know did. you mentioned Khan Academy. And at that time, I realized, hey, Khan Academy has education on the banking system. That's fascinating. But what I did not realize is that the interest flipped, that they, not, that they, started, out, that they started out, how you just mentioned, paying interest for having that deposit. And then they, or, or um, the bank, the right, customers they, of the bank were paying first to keep their money in the bank. That's fascinating. I, I did yeah. not realize that that was happening. And I think this is a great time to bring up the fact that uh, uh, the arbitrage that we've learned uh, from, from Todd Lankford, um, I mean, we all knew this if we, uh, if we understand math at all, but we, we don't put it into practice. So if banks are currently paying us 1% interest and they lend it out to somebody in a car loan at 5% interest, if you ask somebody how much, are, how much is the bank making on that, people will say, oh, they're making 4% interest, the difference between five and one. But they're actually making 400 times the amount of money that they're paying out. Yes. And Which that's- Taking that is a, one cent and making five cents. Right. They're taking one cent and making five cents. So they're making 400 times of what they're actually paying out. And when you think of it, in, or 400%. So if you think of it in that terms, instead of just saying 4%, because 4% would be, hey, if $100, you make, you make $4. Um, mm-hmm. But they're making $4 on that $100 or on that $1 they're paying out. They're paying out $1, they're making five, so they're making four. So 400 times more than they're paying out. Right. 
And so it's a really good business model when you think of it that way. Now, of course, you know, there are some loan defaults and things like that, but uh, they figure that into the, the interest rates that they pay out. Um, that's why if there's a time of, if, if you're, if you have bad credit, you have to actually pay more in interest than if you have good credit because they figure that into the, the arbitrage calculation. So I love this idea of banking and specifically what we want to highlight right now is that if the banking system is doing so much so well, how can we model that instead of just being a customer of the bank? How can we figure out how to use those banking principles in our own life? And so this absolutely starts with keeping cash reserves because if you are going to be in a position of using capital and the advantages that come with having capital in your control, you have to first be a saver and you have to first put aside a portion of what you earn. So in order for you to benefit from storing capital, you first have to keep reserves. Now you pay yourself first, you have cash that flows into this reservoir, if you will. So if you think of money in this big system, almost like the water system in our ecosystem of the world, you think about rain comes down, it flows into small streams, and it flows into wider rivers, it flows into lakes, it flows out into the ocean. You think about the reservoirs that hold the water. And if you think about the money that flows in our economy, it's very similar. It moves from one person's hands to another, but it's really all part of a bigger system. And what we can think about is how can we be in a position that we control the reservoir that we're holding our cash reserves in? So that leads us into step number two. So step number one is to keep cash reserves. Your step number two, if you want to become your own banker then, is to own the reservoir. Now, I do want to point back to, I know we alluded to this a little bit at the beginning, but becoming your own banker was a phrase that was coined because of Nelson Nash. Now, he wrote the book, Becoming Your Own Banker, and he talked about this process of using specially designed whole life insurance and having the cash reserves be your reserves that were your own reservoir that you control your capital. So, Bruce, is there anything else we want to talk about um, specifically to lead back to Nelson Nash in the book that he wrote and where we're going with owning the reservoir. Well, Nelson, when I, when I, I would go listen to Nelson and I would do it a couple times a year, he always alluded to how he had this aha moment for our listeners that are old enough. You would remember in the late seventies, early eighties, we had this huge um, inflation going on. And so he had a commercial building in which he, um, which he had a, a, um, a variable rate loan on. And so the variable rate loan grew tremendously to, I believe it was over 12%. And so suddenly he had, he didn't, he had negative cash flow off the building and he was in, uh, uh, he was going to be able, or in, in danger of defaulting on the loan. And it hit him one day because he was a state farm insurance person. He had a tremendous amount of money that he could borrow against from State Farm and then pay off the loan. And so he realized instead of that money flowing to the banking industry, he could borrow at a lower rate than 12% from uh, State Farm. And then he would take the cash flow from what he was getting from the commercial building and pay the loan back. So he did not interrupt the growth of, I think it was $125,000, which was a lot of money in, 
in the early uh, 80s. So he, didn't under, he, didn't, he did not interrupt the compounding effect of the money that was in the state foreign policy, so it was still getting dividends and interest over here. And yes, he was paying an interest rate on the 125, but he realized that as he was paying down, he wasn't interrupting the compounding effect over here. So he realized that all he was doing was becoming, he took the banking process out and became his own banker. Mm-hmm. And it saved him a lot of money, uh, interest rates going towards the banking process. And, and it sounds like we're be- beating up the banks and, and the banks do uh, have, they form, you know, they were formed to provide a service in, in our economy. But if we can take some of that back to ourselves, then we can actually benefit just like they benefit. I think what's really interesting about this whole thing is, again, not saying that we don't need banks because we absolutely do, but what we're looking at is if we can control capital the way the bank does, we can then benefit from the things the bank is able to do. So because they have capital, they're able to make loans. They're able to have those loans be repaid, which means they're able to have a stream of income or cash flow coming into their hands. They're able to be in a position of guarantees. They have more certainty. They have control because they're earning interest. And we've talked about earlier in another episode on economic value added, the idea that you are always, always, always paying interest for the use of capital. However, you want to be in a position of being able to earn interest as well. That's what a bank is able to do. Because they have capital, they're able to earn interest on that capital. As they make loans, we pay with interest as we take loans from the bank. So the bank is able to, because they have capital, extend those loans, we pay interest back to the bank. So the same way the bank is able to earn cash flow, be in a position of control, we want to earn interest, not just pay interest as a customer of the bank. And so most of the places, if you think about where your money flows, if you think about all of the money that comes into your hands, into your personal economy through maybe your paycheck or your businesses or your investments, if you think about how all of that usually ends up leaving your hands, I mean, in every way that you pay, you pay a mortgage, you pay um, for shoes and clothing and food and all the things that you need in your everyday life, Every time you have a transaction and you have those dollars flow out of your hands, that is money leaving your personal economy, entering someone else's. And so what we want to think about is not having all of our money leave our hands, but as much of our money as possible stay in our reservoir, in our control, in our hands, that that's in a position where now we can then figure out a way to earn interest. And so we, as Nelson Nash, or as Nelson Nash said with becoming your own banker, we advocate using specially designed whole life insurance to be at that position, to be this tool that allows you to hold and control those cash reserves. And the reason for this is that when you have cash value inside of a whole life insurance policy, you have guarantees, you have certainty, and you have control. And what that all boils down to is you have control because your capital is not going to lose value. So cash value inside of a life insurance policy is going to earn interest and then also be added on top of that interest, it's going to have dividends applied on a non-guaranteed basis. Once you have that cash value then, it's never going to drop in value. So the dollar value of your cash inside your policy is not going to be depleted. And then you can access this cash value through policy loans and those are on a guaranteed basis contractually. So you have control because you can access it, you have control because it's not going to drop in value, 
and then you are able to reap earnings and interest because you're able to use that cash value, put it to work in another opportunity that might be an investment property that's going to earn cash flow. And so because of that, you're able then to earn interest in a second place on top of earning interest inside of the cash value account. Bruce, is there anything that we can use to um, make that more clear about the control that you have by owning that reservoir and why cash value inside a life insurance policy is in your control? Well, I just think if, if you just take like a traditional, you take your savings account, if you have $10,000 in your savings account and it's paying you a half a percent or 1%, whatever it is, the low value, and you take that out, that $10,000, and you go do something with it, mm-hmm. um, you are actually paying interest because you're not, you're not gaining interest over here. Okay, so Nelson always says you're either, you're either paying interest or you're losing interest. Or you're giving up uh, the sorry, ability to earn. Up the, yeah, yeah, the opportunity cost of that. Excuse me. Yes. Um, and that's a hard, opportunity cost loss is a hard thing for people to understand, especially when we're in a low interest rate environment. So if we're, in, if, if we're only getting less than 1% from our, from our, um, our uh, savings account, people say, well, why shouldn't I just pay my, my car off because they're going to charge me 3.95%. Why should I just do that? Whether we'll talk about cash flow in another um, episode, but the fact of the matter is, is that that yes, maybe that doesn't make sense in that case. But if you could store your cash where it's getting uninterrupted um, interest, where you get interest even if it's one and a half percent, the next year you get um, interest on the original ten thousand plus what you made on the one in one and a half percent. But now if you could change that and, and put it into a place that's growing at greater than one and a half percent and you keep stacking it, stacking it, stacking it, then you can see why it would make sense to take a policy loan uh, from a well-designed life insurance policy so that you don't interrupt it over here so that, and then you pay it back um, faithfully so you continue the uninterrupted um compounding and you have access for capital just like Nelson had access for capital on his commercial building that day so that mm-hmm. he could then um, have that arbitrage once again. Um, you know, I, I like to use my own personal examples of this all the time because Nelson used to say cash finds opportunities. Yes. Well, I, I may have mentioned this on another um, show that, you know, uh, somebody approached me about, uh, getting a, a, a 25% share into a retail business that specializes what they call in flavor. So barbecue rubs, <clears throat> craft beers, craft liquors, so on and so forth. So the, uh, I looked at the P&Ls, the balance sheet, and uh, the tax returns, and, and the, uh, the one that's already open, uh, was, looks like it was about a 20% return of your money to the owners. So mm-hmm. I can access my policy loan for 5% if you want a real live example. And if we do the same as the other, um, the other location does, then I will make 20% on my money. So I make 15% um, arbitrage on my money. And that's what you were talking about earlier is the velocity of money or flowing the money. Mm-hmm. You don't want to just put it in here and leave it in there. You want to find opportunities so that you can grow your, your money 
Um, so that so the, the purpose of growing your money is so that you have more opportunities in the future. You have more money and it just keeps flowing back and forth over and over. And if we bring that back to banking, I mean, you don't just put your money in deposits at the bank and they just pay you your interest rate for storing your cash in their CD or savings account or checking account. And that's that. And they just keep everything in reserves. They use that money to generate more money. That's what we're talking about, cash flow. And so if we want to be the banker and we want to be in that position of using our reserves that we've stored in our reservoir to make money, we want to find a good use of that money. So that leads us into the third step, which we've actually said several times already through the episode, Mm -hmm. which is master the art of arbitrage. And so Bruce, as we are, if you're in a position where you have capital and it's in your control, and the reason it's in your control is because you know it's not going to fall out between your fingers. It's not going to drop in value. It's not connected to the stock market where you're going to potentially just have volatility and possible loss of that value. You can access it and use it. And even when you access and use it, like you're talking about, you're still maintaining that uninterrupted compound interest throughout time. And if you are with a mutual company, which all of the specially designed policies that we work with clients on are, then you are an owner of the company. You're getting paid dividends as well as the company is profitable you're in this position where now you not only have cash, it's in your control. And now you can say, how can I put this to work to make more money? Exactly what you were just saying. And then how can we figure out what's the best opportunity to make more money? Because we don't just want to leave our money sitting inside that account. We want to put it to work and get it working as hard. And as, um, I mean, I, I think of it being like a workhorse, like you really want it to do a lot of work for you, not just sit there inside your barn. You really want to put your cash value to work. And so, Bruce, as you're talking about looking for opportunities for businesses, for real estate, for things that are tangible assets that do have a guaranteed track record, and not guaranteed, I guess we can't really use that word whenever you're talking about an investment, but that are going to have a track record of growth. And then when you have knowledge and control in that investment space, so Bruce, you have had a lot of experience in business, you know how to evaluate business, and that gives you a lot of control. If somebody had no idea about how to invest in a business, that might not be the ideal investment for them because they wouldn't have known how to evaluate it to figure out if it was a good investment or not. And so really having that that maximum stewardship then is saying, how do I know and control this investment? And that is going to limit your risk and increase your returns. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Riley Smith, another uh, partner here at The Money Advantage, he tells clients all the time that if you you really think about deeply... If you're a deep thinker, money has no value until it flows. Mm-hmm. So when, you're, when your money is sitting in the bank or sitting in your drawer or sitting somewhere, it doesn't have any value. It's just a piece of paper or it's just a number on a spreadsheet. Um, also, our, friends, our friend Jimmy Vreeland, he, he, always, he calls it Excel Millionaires. Mm-hmm. So a person likes to look at their Excel spreadsheet and, and say, look, I'm a millionaire. And Jimmy says, you know, that means nothing until you get cash flow off of it. Absolutely. So, so that's a, but that's a, a, a more deep way of thinking because there's also a great book called The Millionaire Next Door <clears throat> that I, I would say the readers of you might pick that up sometimes. Mm-hmm. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that you can't just, there's many, many people 
that just die because they just hang on to money and don't let it flow. And they, and they got no benefit from that money. It just sits in an account and just sits there, sits there, and sits there. Now, some people might say, yeah, but in an emergency, they're going to be fine. But those people, the reason that money continues to grow is they, they, they actually have a tremendous positive cash flow. Mm-hmm. And so, and again, we don't want to say you don't want to have money for emergencies. You certainly do want right. to have that fund for emergencies, but you also want to put your money to work in investments. That's the point of having an opportunity fund that as you have that cash, it's looking for opportunity. Opportunity seeks liquidity. You're in a position where if you have the liquid capital, there's opportunities that you will see that you probably would not have been aware of otherwise if you didn't have the cash reserves to be able to invest. But yes, absolutely put your money to work in opportunities. Bruce, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to say, yes, have an emergency fund. No, it's great. So we've talked about arbitrage as well. Um, We've talked about the numbers on that. The most important thing when you are looking for investments is philosophically figuring out how can I provide value? How can I know and control this investment? And then how can I increase my likelihood of getting repaid? And again, if you think like a bank, they don't lend to somebody who has no income and no possibility of success and probably not going to pay them back if they made all loans to everybody who asked for money they would probably have a much higher rate of default and the bank would then collapse so you want to be in a position where you are putting your money to work in places that it has a higher chance of success now what we do want to say is here's the bottom line if you are a saver right now here's how you can actionize all of these three points to really be able to put your money in a position of becoming your own banker so you become your own banker by owning and controlling capital then you want to earn returns on that capital you want to never give up cash you want to earn compound interest and never reset your compounding and you want to start maximizing the cash you keep and storing it in a better bank with mutual whole life insurance so the moral here is that you can keep your money at your disposal And you can also put it to work and earn the maximum returns at the same time. And you don't have to put your money in a position of risk to do that. Now, before I forget, if you're a saver who wants to know how to make this even easier, don't lose a single minute. What you can do is head on over to check out the investor's quick and easy guide to privatize banking, how to earn a return in two places at the same time with the same money. And we'll have the link in the show notes. That is at themoneyadvantage.com slash privatize banking privatize-banking if you're listening to this episode. So you can quickly get your money to do more than one thing at the same time. So again, thank you for checking us out today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Becoming Your Own Banker Secrets Every Saver Needs Now. Bruce, is there anything you want to share in closing? No, I, I think, the, I think the, the bottom line is just to simplify this like Nelson did. Just ask yourself, who is the banker? <clears throat> Because if you can become the banker in the banking process, then, then you'll benefit. That's, that's the bottom line. He used to say that to me all the time. Bruce, stop complicating it. You know, it's not about the numbers. You don't have to worry about the interest rates. Just ask yourself, who is the banker? I love it. Thank you, Bruce. And in closing, please remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. 
we've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.